you would uh, please open your Bible to Revelation, the book of Revelation, and we're looking at the 22nd chapter as we've been preaching through the book of Revelation. And we're going to look at the entire chapter, focusing especially on verses 6 and 7. Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verses 6 and 7. But we're going to begin reading with uh, the first verse and read through the chapter to get the entire context and uh, the blessing that is promised by reading and hearing this book. This is the word of the Lord. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign for ever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen... I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs, and sorcerers, and whoremongers, and murderers, and idolaters, and whosoever loveth, and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will... Let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. 
Before we begin examining verses 6 and 7 in the 22nd chapter of the book of Revelation, it's on my heart to ask you, have you ever been confused when the Bible refers to God and Jesus as though they are two separate persons? One of many examples is Revelation 1 in the very first chapter of the book of Revelation, 1-1, which begins, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. Uh, The salutation Paul uses in every letter he wrote that we have. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And perhaps the most striking example is when Jesus on the cross quoted Psalm 22 and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Yet in other places Jesus calls himself God. For example, in John 8, 56-59, he calls himself the I Am which is the name, of course, that God called himself to Abraham. He told people, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. That's in John 14 and also John 12. And in many other places he is called or implied to be God. The unbelieving Jews recognized this since they picked up stones to stone him and said they were doing it because, uh, as they said, you, a mere man, claim to be God. Now, on those occasions when people have confidently told me that Jesus never claimed to be God, I ask them one simple question. Why did the Pharisees want him executed? I have yet to get an answer from unbelievers. I think it's because they don't know their Bible. Now, let's look closely at this verse, especially uh, verses 6 and 7, especially the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Go from this, the last chapter of the book, to the first chapter, which I just quoted, in the first verse. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Now what's the order here? God the Father gave the revelation to his Son, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, who sent his angel to give it to John, who wrote it down for us, and to give it to all believers. He sent his angel to show unto his servants, back in Revelation 22, his servants, the things the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants, not the servants of the angel, the servants of the Lord God, which of course is us. Now, he sent this angel to give it to John. The father sent the son. The father gave the revelation to his son, Jesus Christ, who sent his angel to give it to John, who wrote it down for us, for the churches then, and then through them all believers. It's what we call the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation was transmitted from the Lord then to to John. John wrote it down, sent it as letters uh, to the seven churches and also the the rest of the book of Revelation got to us, uh, presumably through those seven churches. Those seven churches, as I've said before, when we were there earlier this year, uh, we discovered, and the truth of of, uh, Professor Ramsey's observation uh, that they were a Roman postal route. 
and they were letters. So they were, they were whether they were delivered by the Roman postal system or not, we don't know. But they were on a those churches were in a uh, an oval, uh, fairly close to one another. The seven churches, and they were delivered as letters. And it's what we call those letters plus John's other writings uh, compiled, uh, called the Book of Revelation. Now, Jesus Christ sent His angel. Uh, Revelation 22.6 it says that the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel that's going back to people saying well Jesus never claimed to be God 22.6 says the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel who is called the Lord God of the holy prophets here the one who sent his angel and who sent his angel Revelation 1.1 Jesus Christ the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which may shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. That's Revelation 1 1. Revelation 22 6 says, The Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel. So Jesus is the Lord God of the holy prophets. Christ is called the Lord God. In other places, Jesus calls himself God, by the way. In John 8 56 and 59, as I said, he calls himself the I am. As we know, the name God called himself to Abraham. In Exodus 3.13, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. See, the Pharisees knew that verse, of course. And when Jesus said he is the I am, the name of God that was so holy that they never even spoke it or wrote it, they picked up stones to stone him. They said in John 14 and also John 12, you a mere man claim to be God. And he told people, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And in many other places he's called or implied to be God. Um, Seen me and seen the Father is, is in the book of John. It it can be confusing when the Bible refers to God and Jesus as though they are two separate persons. But do not be confused. Know this. And remember this. When Jesus Christ is described as distinct from God, it simply means that Jesus is not the Father or the Holy Spirit. Do you get that? Remember that. When Jesus is described as distinct from God in the Bible, it simply means that Jesus is not the Father. And he's not the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three distinct persons. Not three gods, but three persons. The three persons are one God. And each are called God in the Bible. But they never act uh, uh, unlike what they are, which they are unity. And since they are three persons, we call them a tri-unity or for short, Trinity. Usually, not always, but usually, when the New Testament speaks of God, it means the Father. When Jesus makes a distinction between himself and God, and when an inspired writer does that, it often simply means that Jesus is not the Father, and he's not the Holy Spirit. But sometimes Jesus compares himself to God, or even calls himself God. Uh, And when an inspired writer does that, uh, or Jesus... It means he is God as much as the Father and the Holy Spirit are God. So one God, three persons, the Trinity. Tri meaning three, unity meaning one, tri-unity, Trinity. Now we can't fully understand this. 
because it's unlike anything else in the universe. We have nothing to compare it to. I mean, there are there are parallels that people have made that we've talked about, but they're all in, always imperfect. You know, a triangle and and uh, water becoming a liquid and a solid and 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 a gas and all that. Yeah, there there are comparisons that help us to maybe see it a little bit, but we don't have really anything in nature to compare it to the Trinity. Now, you're you're not going to lose your salvation if you don't understand the Trinity. Uh, you might, you know, you're not going to uh, not be saved because you don't understand the theology of the Trinity. Now, and you, as I say, you're, you're not going to lose your salvation. You might lose your mind trying to understand it, but you will lose your soul if you reject it. You will lose your soul if you reject it. See, the Bible clearly speaks of God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. By the way, when I say lose your soul, I don't mean you didn't phrase that quite correctly. You, you know, you'll go to hell. That's what I mean. Eternal separation from God and eternal torment. The Bible, let me get back to this. The Bible clearly speaks of God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit, but it emphasizes that there is only one God. In Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. But it also speaks of God in three persons. Uh, The first book of the Bible in Genesis, the first chapter. uh, Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Let us make man in our image and our likeness. This is a conversation in the Trinity. It's a Hebrew plural of majesty. It's a a conversation within the Trinity that we're allowed to see. Uh, Genesis, the third chapter, verse 22 uh, says, and said, Lo, Adam is made as one of us, and knoweth good and evil. Isaiah 6 8 is another example. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? In John twelve thirty five, Christ is speaking about himself. Uh, excuse me, 37. Uh, uh, in verse 37, tell, uh, tells us that the people to whom he spoke did not believe in him, even though he had performed many miracles before them. Then in verses 38 to 40 of John 12, uh, the Apostle John quotes Isaiah 53, 1 and Isaiah 6, 10, which, by the way, were written about 700 years before Christ was born, stating that Isaiah had foretold that some people would not believe in Christ. And John says plainly in verse 41 that the God whom Isaiah saw was the Lord Jesus. He writes, Isaiah saw his glory. Another example in Acts 28 and verse 23, Paul was speaking to the people about Christ, but some of them did not believe in him. In verses 25 to 27, that Isaiah 6, 8 uh, through 10 is still, uh, excuse me, is, uh, is again referred to this time as the voice of the Holy Spirit uh, in verse 25. Uh, God is referred to, uh, Christ, as, as God, and here is referred to as the voice of the Holy Spirit, the voice of Christ. So we see how this one passage from Isaiah 
when compared with these two New Testament references, brings out the truth that there are three persons in one God. Uh, Christ said in Matthew 28:19, Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Now, if these three were not God, why would he give each one the same dignity and honor? And if they were more than one God, wouldn't Jesus have been likely to say in the names, plural, instead of what he said was in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? Another one of, again, one of many examples is the Apostle Paul writing in 2 Corinthians 13. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. See, we believe in the triune God, one God and three persons, because the Bible teaches it, not because we completely understand it. Uh, we couldn't have made it up because it's it's so foreign to, to us. No, nobody could have come up with this idea. Uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, in summarizing the teaching of Scripture, says in uh, uh, chapter 2, uh, paragraph 3, quote, In the unity of the Godhead there be three persons of one substance, power, and eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And the... Uh, passage in 1 John chapter 5 verse 7 for there are three that bear record in heaven the Father the Word and the Holy Ghost and these three are one and if that's not in your version of the Bible your version of the Bible is based on uh, faulty manuscripts Uh, you need to get a a Bible version that's based on the received text uh, which today is the King James Version uh, the Geneva Bible, the original Geneva Bible, uh, not the Sproul version called the Geneva Bible, but I'm talking about the original Geneva Bible. Uh, and there's a, a modern uh, uh, printings of it available. Um, and uh, to a lesser extent, the New King James Version. Uh, again, Matthew, uh, let's go to Matthew 3, verses 16 through 17. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What do we have here? If you look at that in Matthew 3, please, 16 and 17, Jesus the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and the Father speaking. So we have the three persons of the Trinity depicted there. That's what happened. Um, we have the Father who is God, John 3.16, the Son who is God, of many, uh, Philippians 2.5-8, John 1.1, 1, 1, and the Holy Spirit, who is God, Acts 5, 3, and 4. Yet these are not three gods, but one and the same God. And I encourage you to look up those scripture references uh, that, I, that I've gone through. Uh, I put them on your, your handout, uh, and I'll post them on Sermon Audio, Lord willing. Uh, uh, but the ones I've, I've mentioned uh, 
so far, just recently, is John 3.16, the Father is God, the Son, God, and I mentioned Philippians 2, 5 through 8 and John 1, 1, and the Holy Spirit who is God, a reference I used uh, there is Acts 5, verses 3 and 4. There are uh, several major heresies concerning the Trinity. Um, I've kind of put them into three bags. Uh, one is Unitarianism. Unitarianism, as opposed to Trinitarian, this is Unitarianism. And, uh, of course, lots of towns has what they call Unitarian churches. They're nothing of the kind. They're not churches, but that's what they call themselves. Unitarianism says the Father is the Creator. The Son is a creature. And the Holy Spirit is just an impersonal force. Uh, So Christians can't be Unitarians because the Bible teaches Trinitarianism. The second major heresy is the error, error of tritheism. Tritheism. Now, that's not Trinitarianism or tri-unity. Uh, uh, the error of tritheism says that the Trinity consists of three separate but cooperating gods. But the Bible says there's one God. And finally, the error of modalism, according to that view, there's one God, but he reveals himself through three different modes or or roles. Sometimes uh, uh, he's God the Father, sometimes he acts as God the Son, sometimes he acts as God the Holy Spirit, depending on what he's trying to, uh, what his purpose is. Uh, And the the example that... uh, those who fall into this heresy give, well, a man could be considered a husband to his wife, a father to his children, and an employee to his boss, depending on what role he's taking on. So that's three errors, three major heresies, Unitarianism, Tritheism, Modalism. And as I said, there, there have been a lot of attempts to explain the Trinity, to put them, uh, you know, to force, try to force this concept, or wrap our minds around this concept, which cannot be done because there's nothing to compare it to in nature. Um, and I mentioned what a triangle, uh, light is another example that's been uh, people have tried to come up with uh, because light has three kinds of rays, chemical rays. Uh, light has chemical rays that are invisible and can't be felt or seen. Um, light rays, rays that are seen but can't be felt. Heat rays, rays that are felt but never seen. By chemical, um, I guess we're, we're talking about radio waves, televisions, you know, satellite communications, whatever, uh, cell phones, that kind of thing. Uh, and then we have light rays, rays that are seen but not felt, and heat rays that are felt but not seen. Uh, some people say, say that's a good illustration of the Trinity because chemical rays, radio waves uh, are invisible and could illustrate a type of the Father who cannot be felt nor seen. Light rays can be seen but can't be felt, which illustrate a type of the sun. Heat rays illustrate a type of the Holy Spirit because they are felt but never seen. Uh, There's also uh, what people have come up with, the dimensional example, and that, for all practical purposes, our world is a three-dimensional world, uh, if you exclude what is called the fourth dimension, which is time, where all objects possess height, length, and width. So... Let's take an example of a book that measures nine inches long, six inches wide, and one inch high. So we can conclude 
there's one single book, but there are three separate but unified dimensions in that book, and those dimensions aren't the same, but they can't be separated from the other two without destroying the book itself. So again, that is a um, uh, an example that people have used to try to make us understand the Trinity. There's one book, three dimensions, separate dimensions. You can't separate those dimensions uh, without destroying the whole idea of the book or the book itself. Uh, you know, all of these explanations fall short because they they don't completely explain the Trinity. This Trinity cannot be understood uh, by our little peanut brains. Okay. We're not made. God did not wire us to understand the Trinity. He didn't give us anything in nature to compare it to exactly. Uh, it is not something, it is, it is his essence, and he does not want us to know it. Bottom line. So we can't go beyond, try to go beyond what Scripture teaches. It is not important for us to understand the essence of the Trinity. It's not important to us. If it was, the Lord would have told us. Uh and by the way, this is not, well, this is just fantastic uh, that, that I would say such a thing, and how can I say that God didn't tell us everything about it and all that. The same is true of several things we use every day and take for granted. No one can explain gravity. They try and they come up with theories, but the theories are knocked down, and nobody can really explain exactly what gravity is, the source of gravity. Well, it's mass. Well, you delve into that a little more. I don't claim to be a scientist, but you know the scientists that I've read that they really can't explain gravity. Nobody can explain electricity. Uh, we say that that there are electrons running through a wire. Nobody's ever seen an electron. The, the uh, things that we learned in school with the uh, nucleus of the atom, with the electrons buzzing around it, and there's a proton and a neutron and and in the atom and all that. That's theoretical. Nobody's ever seen that. Uh, maybe someday we, we will see that. We see the effects of it, and that's a theory, that, and it's postulated that it, that it looks like it's a representation. But nobody's ever seen an atom. Uh, so nobody knows really what's, you know, they're theories, but nobody knows for sure what's going on when you turn on a light, what's going through that wire. It's We call it electricity. Uh, nobody knows why the, <clears throat> excuse me, the internal combustion engine works. We know mechanically how it works, but we don't really know how it works. Uh, no one can explain thought. In fact, <laughs> no one can really explain how motion is possible. Philosophically, theoretically, motion is not possible. I majored in philosophy, so that's something I know a little bit about. Uh, and I don't want to get too far into explaining this. Um, Gordon Clark does a, a pretty good job, uh, as you would expect, Dr. Gordon Clark, in explaining uh, this in his book on, uh, let's see, science. It's called The Philosophy of Science and Belief in God. Uh, it's not an easy read, but it's a very interesting read. Uh, a very, very interesting book. Uh, I've read it several times, and you've got to reread it to pick it up, and probably time I did it again. Uh, but uh, get that book. The Philosophy of Science and Belief in God uh, by Dr. Gordon Clark. And he talks about, the reason I'm mentioning that, he, he, as I recall, he begins it by talking about how motion theoretically is impossible. But 
that's not the point of my sermon. My point is, or my, the point I'm making right now, we believe in gravity, we believe in electricity, we, we drive our vehicles anyway, even though no one really knows why there is such a thing as internal combustion and why it's possible. And we think, and we move, and we take thousands of other things for granted that, if truth be told, no one really understands. It's because in Him, the Lord, we think and move and have our being, as Scripture says. Verse 7 in Revelation 22. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Now the I here in context is obviously Christ. It's not John coming quickly. It's not the angel coming quickly. So either Christ is saying this directly to John, or the angel is telling him what Christ told the angel to say, and it's not really clear, and commentators, you know, as you know, I I don't just go out on a limb on these things. I consult many, many commentators, uh, solid, uh, good, reformed commentators, uh, on, on the, uh, before I write the sermon, and they're divided on whether this is John's, or excuse me, whether this is Christ speaking or the angel speaking. Uh, but either way, they're the words of the Son of God, whether it's Christ speaking directly to John or the angel giving Christ's words to John. Now this verse, one of the last verses of the book of Revelation, is a parallel verse to one of the first verses of the book of Revelation. If you turn to Revelation 1.3, Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Blessed is he, Revelation 1-3, Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Note in both verses the promise of a blessing from the Lord and a warning. Those who read, hear, and keep the commands in it will receive blessings from the Lord. That is his promise. We can depend on that. His warning is, the time is near. The time is near. What time is near? Revelation 22, 7. Behold, I come quickly. Christ is coming quickly. The time is near. Now you might say, well, wait, wait a minute. This was written 2,000 years ago. Christ hasn't come back yet. So how can he have said he would come quickly? Now I agree that if Christ means about his return on the day of judgment, the last day of this present earth's history, that no one would think 2,000 years is quickly. But I don't believe that's what he meant. Why? Because he links, I come quickly, with a promise, blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book, which is an implied warning for those who do not keep the sayings of this book. I think, and again, commentators are divided on this, but I think a more accurate interpretation of verse 7 is that he's talking about the state of every person's soul, yours and mine. You know, I've often said the end of the world comes for thousands of people every day. And that's because they die. That's the end of their world. 
So when we think about the end of the world or Christ coming quickly, we shouldn't always think of the last day, the final judgment. It's, it's very possible that Christ will come for you before that happens. See, each of us is given a fixed number of years on this earth, and then we die. We don't live any longer or any shorter than what the Lord has preordained. Um, Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Life is short. We all know that. Uh, today is and tomorrow is gathered and thrown into the, into the fire. Life is like the, like the, the grass of the field which withers and is, th- as Christ said, and thrown into the fire. Life is short. The longer you live, the more you realize how short life is, right? Behold, I come quickly, verse 7, Christ says. Christ comes quickly to send some to hell and others to eternal life. So, going on, blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. I believe that's what that verse is saying. Behold, I come quickly. I'm coming quickly to send some to hell and others to eternal life. I come quickly because you're going to die. You might die in five minutes. You might die in five years or 50 years. But behold, I come quickly to send some to hell and others to eternal life. So blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for he will go to heaven. I added that, for he will go to heaven, of course. Oops, I added a scripture. No, I'm trying to interpret scripture. I'm not claiming that that's what words that Christ used. I'm not adding to scripture, but I am doing what a, a preacher is supposed to do, explaining how this uh, how this impacts your life. And this is critical. Now, blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Well, they're saying he's keeping the prophecy of the book of Revelation. Yes. Uh, but not the book of John. Well, pretty ridiculous, right? Uh, not just we call it what we call a book of Revelation, but the whole Bible. There's only one book, as as we'll say. Say when we, the point I will make, the Lord willing, when we get to the the final verses of Revelation chapter 22 about uh, uh, condemning those who add to or take away from the words of this book. Uh, some people have tried to come up with a sophistic, uh, not sophisticated, sophist, uh, sophistic argument, which is where we get the word sophisticated, uh, but we've changed the meaning of it. Uh, it originally meant a, uh, oh, how should I put this? Uh, sophistry is, is a phony argument, a good-sounding argument that really is illogical, doesn't hold up when you examine it, but at first blush might sound, oh, yeah, okay. Well, that's a, uh, an argument people make about, oh, well, that's adding to, uh, those, those, that condemnation at the end of, of Revelation. That's just saying don't add or subtract from the book of Revelation. But, you know, you can, you can add to the rest of the Bible or take, take things away out of the Bible. Like Jefferson did, Thomas Jefferson. I'm, I'm, that's an aside, but it, look up the Jefferson Bible sometime. Uh, he, took, he didn't like the miracles, so uh, he, took, uh, he took the Gospels and took out anything he didn't agree with, like miracles and things like that, that obviously he thought are impossible. And then he put, put what was rest, rest and had it published, and it's called the Jefferson Bible. It's one of the, one of the monuments to uh, uh, unbelief. Well, getting back to the argument, which, Lord willing, I'll make in uh, future sermons, 
adding or subtracting from this book, meaning just the book of Revelation, well, just it, that's sophistic because if for a moment you think about it, if you add to or subtract from the book of Revelation, are you not adding to or subtracting from the Bible? Yes. So there's only one book. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. You know, as he lay dying, Sir Walter Scott, who, as you know, was the great Scottish historical novelist and playwright and poet, as he lay dying, he said to his son-in-law, Son, bring me the book. And his son-in-law said, Well, Father, out of these thousands of books in your library, what book? And Walter Scott said, My son... There is just one book. Bring me the book. And his son-in-law, Lockhart, got it at that point, and he brought to Sir Walter Scott the book, the Bible. And Sir Walter Scott died with that book in his hand. Please turn to Psalm 103, and I'll conclude the sermon with that. That's, that's personal me, meaning to me because I I'm sorry I put I put the Bible in my mother's hands and my father's hands in the casket please turn to Psalm 103 Psalm 103 verse 13 As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Amen and amen. Let us go to him in prayer. Our Father and our God, we know that we have no power except which is given to us from above, as Christ said to Pilate, and that applies to every one of us. Father, it says in Philippians that thou workest in us to do and to will according to thy good pleasure. So our will is from thee, and our doing is from thee. So, Father, We ask for the will and the doing to keep thy commandments. Give us thy strength, Father, for thy strength is perfected in our weakness, as Scripture teaches us. Father, may it be that we continue to keep thy covenant and remember thy commandments to do them. For we we know, Father, that there are some listening to this sermon who will not be here a year from now on this earth. 
perhaps some that will not be here next month, next week, or even tomorrow, or even later today. Not on this earth. They'll either be eternally with Christ or eternally separated from God and in torment. And their destiny then will be to be in the lake of fire forever. Father, we don't want that for us. We don't want that for our parents. We don't want that for our children. We don't want that for anyone. Father, we ask thy blessings upon our families that we may be examples to them. That Lord, use us to lead them to Christ and those who are his to increase their faith as thou increases ours. We pray for more faith, Father, that we might keep the sayings of the prophecy of this book. For it is in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.